you were to drive by my house most mornings, you would find Emily and I on our porch drinking coffee. We sit and sip, watching the birds and the waking street, talking through our dreams, the books that we've been reading, the ideas that we've been struggling through. Sometimes we discuss logistics, our plans for the week, the day. It's a time when we move both of our individual lives back into sync with one another. Of course, we also talk throughout the day, through text and calls, the passing conversations of our comings and goings. But that coffee time is central to the formation of our life together. Any relationship, if it is to thrive and flourish, finds its way into such a pattern of regular conversation. And it is no different with our relationship with God. Jesus was someone who participated in regular, deep conversation with God, going to the wilderness, praying through the most important transitions and moments of his life. And Luke, of all the gospel writers, emphasizes this point. In Luke's gospel, we constantly find Jesus going out to pray. And yet, almost halfway through the gospel, in today's reading, the disciples seem to have finally noticed. And they want to know, how do we pray as you pray? How, too, can we have such a life of conversation with God? And so Jesus gives them the prayer that we know as the Lord's Prayer, prayer that is so simple and yet so profound in its meanings. Simone Weil, the great French philosopher and mystic, once wrote that the Our Father contains all possible petitions, that all prayer is contained in this prayer. She likened it to Christ in the Incarnation showing us God, that in the prayer of the Our Father, what we call the Lord's Prayer, that it is like the incarnate incarnation of all prayer, and that if we pay attention closely enough to each of its words and phrases, that we cannot help but to find our souls transformed. And so taking a cue from Simone Weil, I'd like for us to spend some time with each of the movements of this prayer. I'd like for us to think through what it's saying to us and to hear in it and find our souls transformed. We begin with Father. Pater in the Greek of the New Testament, Abba in the language of Aramaic in which Jesus taught. It is a term of familiar, um, the familiar father, the daddy in, in the Aramaic. But many of us have trouble with this word father because of all of the patriarchal abuses of the term. What's important, important for us to know and understand is that Jesus uses this word, Father, 
to communicate someone who is both beyond and above us, an authority figure, but someone who is also in deep and intimate relationship with us. Think of all of the parents and mentors and true teachers in your life. Think about the role that they played for you, having authority over you and yet loving you. Was there ever a project or a time when you worked in cooperation with that person? Think of what that felt like. That's the kind of relationship that God is calling, that Jesus is calling us into with God as we say, Father. Jesus then tells us to pray that God's name be hallowed. Hallowed be your name. Names in the ancient world contained someone's essence. To say someone's name was to say something about the fullness of who that person is. Some of you may have experienced that with your family names. I know that for myself, sometimes we would hear growing up, that's not what a Sutterfield does, or Willards aren't like that. So, A name connotes something about the essence of of the person. When we pray that God's name be hallowed, we're praying that God will arrive in his presence on earth in the fullness of his personhood, who God really is. We also know that there are many false fathers, many false gods around in the world, and that people have had abusive relationships with those that they've given their trust to. And so this prayer for that holiness of God's name is also a protection against idolatry, protection from all the false fathers in our world. So we pray that no one else may be as God is in our lives. We then pray that God's kingdom come. All of us have a kingdom, or a queendom, or a reign. You may not know it, but each of you has a space in which your will is effective, where what you say goes. Even people in the worst constrictions of confinement have some space in which they make the decisions and calls for what happens. God's kingdom is the range of God's effective will. We may think that that is, of course, everywhere because God is all-powerful. But God seeks not to live with us through domination, but rather through relationship. And so God has opened up space where our wills can be effective outside of God's will. In praying this prayer, we are hoping and praying that our lives will come into flow and relationship with God's life. St. Therese of Lisieux once wrote to her sister that she believes that God doesn't want to do anything without us. God wants us to be in cooperative relationship with him. I love how it's expressed at the end of Ron Hansen's novel, Mariette in Ecstasy. 
There's a nun in the novel who's been kicked out of the convent. And at the very end, she says that she prays that God will show her his will. But that when she does so, she feels her heart flooded with God's love and a voice whisper to her, surprise me. God wants our creativity, our ideas and inputs as God brings his kingdom to bear on earth. So as we pray that God's kingdom come, we are praying too that our kingdoms will come into their flourishing fullness. To do this work, of course, we need power and energy. And that's why we pray that God will give us today our daily bread. Or another way to translate it is that God will give us today the bread for tomorrow. That God will always give us the energy and power that we need to live out God's way in our lives. Bread was the staple food of the ancient world. There are all kinds of meanings associated with it throughout the scriptures, like manna and the bread that is spiritual as well as physical. And we know that all of us need all kinds of things in order to live into our fullness and energy. We need a social realm, spiritual realm, and a physical realm, and all of those are contained in this prayer for bread. We need that energy because the thing that God then calls us into is a hard task. It's the task of both asking God to forgive us and then also offering release to those who owe us. We pray to forgive us our sins for we ourselves to forgive everyone indebted to us. The theologian and pastor Sam Wells has said that Christianity helps us live into the present moment because it helps undo the chains of the past through forgiveness and the fears of the future through hope. Sin can be a hard word in our world because of its many abuses, but one way to think of it that I recently heard is that sin is either being less than human or desiring to be more than human. God created us to be creatures who are fully and truly alive in our humanity, but so often sin leads us to degrade ourselves and to be less than the flourishing people that God created us to be. At other times, we desire to have powers that are more than what are properly human, and so we want to be more, and we seek pride. In both of those sins, God offers freedom through forgiveness, unchaining us from our past. But no person is an island. We are all connected together. The liberation of everyone requires the liberation of each person. We can begin to participate in that in our own lives by releasing those who owe us whatever it might be. God wants us to join in the work of God's bringing about God's kingdom by us forgiving those who have done things against us. And so we ask that God will help us release the chains of those who have 
wronged us in our past. Finally, we pray that we will not come to the time of trial. This is a hard one. The book of James says that God will never test us. That God isn't out there to, to try to trick us and see what we might do. But we will, throughout our lives, come to moments of temptation. We pray in this prayer that God will help us to live with fewer and fewer temptations in our lives. I've talked with various people who have been through the deep and terrible tragedy of betrayal by a spouse. It's always the case that that betrayal didn't start when there was some other object of desire, but instead through the neglect of love, through a long-running neglect of love that, that created that temptation and, and situation. So when we pray that we will not be brought to the time of trial, we are praying that our lives will move ever more into the rhythm of God's life, and that through that, temptations will not even be imaginable to us. Now, of course, this is a process, but it's one that we pray continually so that we move more and more deeply into it. God desires a deep and abiding relationship with us, to be in conversation and cooperation with us. God wants our creativity, our wills, to take part in bringing about God's kingdom. And in that, God wants our own desires to be filled in their fullness. The philosopher Dallas Willard once said that he truly believes that God wants to give us whatever we want. But first, God must do work on the wonder. I know that for myself, there are times when I have asked for scorpions instead of eggs. And I'm glad that God didn't give it to me. God needs to do work on us so that God will bring our desires into line with what is truly good and healthy and flourishing for us. And so God will give it to us. God desires all of us to move into cooperative love with God. To do so, we need to root and ground our lives in prayer. This prayer, praying and praying again the words that Jesus taught us. So, Let's say that prayer again. I'm going to offer it this time with some more contemporary language. Beloved beyond us, no one else can be who you are. May your will and way happen here. Empower us today with what we need for tomorrow and release us from the burdens of our past as we release others from theirs, so that we all can enter the flow of your love without wavering. Amen.